0: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? A picture-perfect beach day in Cozumel, or a tropical adventure to Mayan ruins, with snorkel excursion for good measure. A delectable surf and turf at sea, topped off with craft cocktails at Alchemy Bar. Now, get some Z's. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Why? because no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose
1: fun. Ships registry Bahamas, Panama. The Bowery Boys, episode 166, The General Slocum Disaster. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is sponsored by Audible, the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks for download to your computer, phone, or MP3 player. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young, just me this week, for a very special episode of the show. First of all, I have to apologize. I have a little bit of a cold this week, so my apologies. I sound a little different. Also, at the top of the show, you may have heard me mention our new sponsor, Audible. If you've listened to other podcasts, I'm sure you've heard their recommendations before. If you stick around until the end of the show, I'll give you a little bit more information on them and a special offer. Now, I'm recording this show in mid-June 2014. In just a couple days is the 110th anniversary of a horrific event that occurred in the waters of New York on June 15th, 1904. While on a church-sponsored day trip heading for the Long Island Sound, the General Slocum Steamboat caught fire in the East River, rapidly spreading and trapping its passengers between a fate by fire or drowning. By the end, this disaster had killed 1,021 people, mostly women and children. This is the largest loss of life in a single event in New York City history up to September 11th, 2001. This was an incredibly painful show to research and will probably be a little bit painful to listen to, I'll be honest. But it's an incredibly relevant story to tell today, which makes it all the more shocking to me that actually so few people really know this story. This is an American tragedy, but also very pointedly a German one. Most of the victims lived in the area of today's East Village, in a major German neighborhood called Kleine Deutschland, Little Germany. This disaster eradicated that neighborhood, wiping whole families off the map, families who had just gotten a foothold here in New York just a generation or two past. This event is so… well, there's not like a lot of sunshine in this tale, but I want it to be more than a sad story. How do we remember and honor tragic events that were so long ago that nobody alive remembers them? Is simply knowing the story of Fitting Memorial, or should there be something more permanent? Well, these are thoughts to ponder, I guess, as I take you along on this fateful journey of the General Slocum. General Slocum, that is, General Henry Warner Slocum, was one of the youngest officers of the Union Army during the Civil War, and later a distinguished New York congressman whose reputation has been almost entirely besmirched by the steamship which was named in his honor in 1891. The General Slocum steamship was built in Red Hook, Brooklyn, by the Divine British Shipbuilding Firm as a top-of-the-line excursion steamer, meaning it was never meant to travel very far from New York Harbor. Excursion steamers specialized in recreational transportation, taking New Yorkers out of the overcrowded city to relaxing points in the region. Today, of course, you'll see more sophisticated vessels of this variety, whisking tourists up and around Manhattan Island. The Slocum was a gorgeous, all-white, three-decker vessel with large passenger saloons, spacious interior windows, and a hurricane deck surrounded by a three-foot railing for maximum view enjoyment. Most people in New York and Long Island could recognize the Slocum by its two large paddle wheels, making it one of the more arresting sights of the East River. In its early years, the General Slocum took passengers from New York piers to the attractions of Rockaway Beach, which in the 1890s was a teeming beach destination with glamorous hotels and rowdy amusements. It was a slow but enjoyable two and a half hour ride there for just 50 cents round trip. What was a sterling ship, of course, in the 1890s, was by 1904 a bit weathered and second-rate, still cutting a fine figure, though, along the waters, but far slower than these newer, better vessels. Its captain in June of 1904 was still William Van Schyke for the Knickerbocker Steamship Company, who would continue keeping the slocum in the water thanks to a cozy relationship with government inspectors, who looked the other way at the vessel's deteriorating accoutrement. In April, inspectors declared the ship, quote, up-to-date and of good quality, unquote, despite not really looking at the boat's safety equipment. And the Slocum has not been without incident during its career. It had actually gotten into several accidents just two years before Van Schuyk actually ran the ship aground. Some were calling for his retirement, but mostly the steamship company looked the other way. The boat was soon chartered by St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church for their yearly day-trip excursion, a chance for their congregation to briefly break out of the crowded Lower East Side and enjoy a day in the sun. St. Mark's is located on East 6th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue, in the heart of New York's first and largest German neighborhood. Now, we spoke in greater detail about this back in our Tompkins Square Park podcast just a few months ago, but essentially, this enclave, which is roughly the area of today's East Village, was the destination for German immigrants beginning in the 1830s. Even by this time, in 1904, thousands of second and third generation german families lived here in kleine deutschland even as many of them began moving up to yorkville and, and other german areas of the newly formed five boroughs saint mark's on sixth street was quote, almost mystically revered in the old country as the first place any voyager would seek out upon arrival in the new world its pastor george haas planned yearly excursions for his flock as a way of community building, knowing it was perhaps the only time many of these poor families would even leave the Lower East Side. The annual excursion was to travel to Locust Grove, Long Island, on the North Shore, for a day-long picnic. To encourage the poor families to join them, children were allowed to ride for free. That Wednesday morning, June 15th, Families begin lining up at the Third Street Pier on the East River. Now, there's no pier today, of course. The area was later filled with landfill to create the East River Park, just feet from the FDR Drive. Now, no one would know, for months later, actually, the exact number of passengers on the slow come that day. Thank goodness it didn't hold its stated maximum capacity, which was 2,500 people. Later, the number of people aboard the steamer was estimated to be 1,331, an overwhelming number of which were under the age of 18. Among the dozens of passengers that day were the Libanous, Paul and Anna, and their three daughters, Anna, Helen, and Adela, along with various aunts and cousins on both sides of the family. And the story here is the same as you go through the list of passengers, whole family units boarded that day, save for maybe one or two members. Because this was during the week on a Wednesday, it was pretty much impossible for the entire family to go. So mostly it was mothers and their children, the fathers and perhaps an older son or daughter missing out on this day of relaxation. And this is an era, keep in mind, when everyone wore their Sunday best for this kind of event, dressed in their nicest dresses and suits. The slocum left the pier at around 9 a.m. in the morning and began its slow crawl up the East River. Many people along the shore that day recalled seeing the boat meander through the water, hearing the sounds of excitable children along with the gentle sound of church music. The band leader, George Murray, was on board, directing a group of musicians through a few jaunty German church hymns. He also was on board with his family, as were some of the other musicians they had brought their families. The tune that many remember and associate with this tragedy is the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which was played in that Oompa style by the band. In addition, there were two New York police officers on board, and of course, there was Pastor Haas and his family. The pastor circulated through the various areas of the Slocum that morning, greeting his congregation on each of the decks. Now, on the left side, passengers saw the Lower East Side Piers melt away into rows of factories, slaughterhouses, and dilapidated brownstones in the area of today's Sutton Place and the United Nations Headquarters area. But on the right was Blackwell's Island, lined with its infamous hospitals, workhouses, and penitentiary. There was not yet a Queensborough Bridge hanging over the river, but some passengers probably took note of the Blackwell Island Lighthouse at its northern end. Van Schaik, however, was principally concerned with the turbulent waters ahead, the dangerous confluence of rivers known as the Hellgate between Queens and Randalls and Wards Island.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: The slocum needed to pass through here to get to the Long Island Sound. The Hellgate had sunk hundreds of ships since boats first attempted it in the 17th century. It was still a pretty dangerous pass in 1904, but on this day, the Hellgate would not be the problem. At that very moment, a child noticed a small fire in the lamp room below the main deck, just a spark, something smoking, something minor. One report I had read blamed it on a pot of boiling grease. Regardless, the boy alerted a member of the crew who went to check, and I should add that this crew was not particularly trained for any kind of emergency situation. Employees of the Knickerbocker were relatively cheap hires and were only trained, really, to operate the ship. The crewman threw the doors open, tried to stamp out the little spark, threw charcoal on it in an effort to trap it, but then went off to get help, leaving the door open, the breeze which then proceeded to fuel the spark and transformed it into a full-blown blazing fire. Up in the pilot house, Van Schyke was steering the boat through the hell gate when a boy ran in, telling the captain that the boat was on fire. Get the hell out of here, the captain cried, shooing away the boy. The crewmen below attempted to fight the fire, unfurling a fire hose and letting a steady stream of water onto the blaze. The stream, however, then slowed to a trickle. The hose was so rotten that after a few moments, it simply burst open. A second hose was found, but the coupling was extremely rusted, and they were actually unable to unfasten the broken one. These were men that were not trained for emergency situations, so once they realized the hoses were useless, they gave up. Get to the boats, the men cried. Smoke was filling the passageways, and people began to panic and stampede. Mothers frantically looked for their children, who were off playing in other parts of the ship. Civilized behavior soon gave way to terror, as people began to see flames quickly traveling the lower levels, fiery debris catching onto clothing and hair. The band was still playing on the deck above, and only stopped with the first chorus of screams from below. Families began pressing themselves against the railing of the boat as panicked crowds streamed through the deck. So many people pushed through that children were actually torn away from their parents. Never to be seen by them again. First, the mobs ran towards the six lifeboats aboard the Slocum and attempted to pry them off the wall. But someone had actually fixed them to the wall with wire, then painted over them so that they wouldn't budge. They were useless. People scrambled to pull them off, screaming and crying as they pulled, children being crushed underfoot. There was an even greater panic over the life preservers, most of which were fastened overhead with extremely rusty wires. The boys climbed up to free them, cutting their fingers, but finally getting the hundreds of preservers free. There was a mad, terrible struggle ensuing to grab a preserver, of course, for yourself and for your children. Very few people in this era knew how to swim, plus I mean, you were plunging into the waters of the Hellgate from a moving ship, and yet, rather than burning to death or suffocating under the thick smoke, this was the only option. Except the preservers like the lifeboat had not been properly inspected. Most were filled with rotten cork, several exploding into dust. Not only were they useless, they were actually dangerous. The wet cork had lost its buoyancy and just simply sank into the water. People threw their children overboard wearing life preservers, only to see them sink into the water and never emerge. In the case of one family, the Kirchers, almost all of them fortunately survived this disaster except for their daughter, the only one who was wearing a life preserver. Down below, dozens were succumbing to the flames, huddling in groups, trapped in the corners. they were burned to death. Smoke choked others who collapsed and were either crushed in the hysteria or fell off the boat unconscious and drowned. The band leader, George Murray, could swim and decided to jump into the water with his two daughters. But a minute later, a man jumped on top of Murray and knocked him unconscious. His body was later found with a shoe print on his forehead. The Slocum was now passing the piers of Hunts Point in the Bronx, and the captain could have ran the boat aground here. Instead, and we, and we still don't really know why, Van Schyke pressed forward. In this area where the East River meets the Long Island Sound, there are three small islands here, Rikers Island, and the North Brother and the South Brother Islands. The captain made for the shore of the North Brother, for reasons that are still a little hazy, but putting the boat at full speed here only turned the fire into a rapidly traveling inferno. At this point, I'd like to quote a few primary sources that reported on this tragedy. The New York Times, quote, The scene attendant upon the disaster have seared themselves in the brains of the survivor, never to be effaced. Women were roasted to death in sight of their husbands and children, and babes by the scores perished in waters of the East River, into which they had been thrown by frenzied mothers. The New York Tribune. Hundreds of women and children on the decks began to rush towards the stern of the boat, they became insane with terror as the panic increased. The crush forced many helpless people against the railings of the deck with such force that the stanchions were broken and the railings were swept away. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle. Many of the fatalities were due to the collapse of the upper work of the boat. When the stanchions gave way, the framework of the deck above slid down and hundreds were plunged into the water. The New York Evening World. There was little hope that any of the children who jumped overboard could be saved, "'The current all along the course taken "'is on a section of the river "'where not even a strong swimmer can breast the currents. "'Scores of little ones were sucked in "'by the whirlpools in Hellgate,' unquote. Then did manage to make it to North Brother Island, "'where the boat was now entirely engulfed in flames.' New Yorkers from all sides, from the islands and from the shores, scrambled to the blaze. Brave tugboat captains managed to get close enough that some people were able to jump on board. One teenager in her right mind started picking up random children and throwing them onto a tugboat, saving all of them. Two prisoners from Rikers Island grabbed a boat and helped fill several people from the water that way. On North Brother Island, nurses and doctors and even smallpox patients ran to the water to rescue who they could and revive those who had washed ashore. There were many stories of bravery that day. The story that really stuck with me is that of a 17 year old named Charles Schwartz. He could actually swim quite well and so he managed to make it to shore. He went back out in the water to fish out his mother and his grandmother only to discover that both women had died. Overtaken with grief, Charles managed to go back into the water again and again and managed single-handedly to save 22 people. He himself barely survived this. He said, quote, "Many of them grabbed at me, but I was able to keep off enough to prevent being dragged down. I felt hands way down in the water holding at my feet, hands caught me everywhere, and above me was the fire raging and roaring. I wish that I had been stronger and could have done more." Unquote. The employees of the General Slocum have a spottier record. One deckhand valiantly saved three children, one in each hand, and one in his teeth. But many of the Slocum's crew simply saved themselves, including the captain. A member of the Knickerbocker Steamboat Company had arrived quickly to the scene and scooped up the captain and crew, being sure to rehearse them on the company line before finally releasing them to the police. Another who had survived that day was the pastor, Pastor Hoss, unconscious on the shore of North Brother Island. In the following days, public outpourings of grief would be focused around the pastor, who had to mourn not only the death of his wife, but of hundreds and hundreds of people in his congregation, people he had baptized, weddings he had officiated over, families he had seen every Sunday. The slocum again floated out to sea, dislodging clouds of cork dust surrounded by ominous and tragic shapes in the water. Tugboats were able to drag it out further to an area where the flames would not endanger any other ships or nearby piers. Finally, just after noon, the slocum sank below the water, a single paddle box, and a smokestack jutting out of the water, and mayhem all around. Those with minor injuries or no injuries were immediately sent home, not held for questioning or taken to grief counseling or anything. This is actually how many people in the Lower East Side first found out about this tragedy, by seeing people weeping in the streets. Over at St. Mark's, the son of Pastor Haas began fielding questions from dozens of concerned families and even had to fight off newspaper reporters, all the while wondering about the fate of his own family. Those with missing family members had a grim journey in store for them. They first went to the Bronx hospitals where the injured were taken, first to Lincoln Hospital and then to Lebanon. Parents looking for children went from bed to bed, while some children with serious injuries were completely unattended, wondering where their parents had gone. If you couldn't find your loved ones there, then you wandered the streets, you headed to St. Mark's, to your neighbors, anywhere that gave you hope that they might still be alive. The scene around St. Mark's Lutheran Church was so totally mad that the local elevated railroad line actually ran a special train here just for survivors. Eventually, you had to make your way to Bellevue Hospital. The city morgue here was ill-equipped for such a tragic event like this, so a makeshift morgue was set up along a place on the 26th Street shoreline, a place called the Charities Pier. It was here that people searched among the dead and kept returning, for in the coming days more bodies would be discovered, washed ashore with the tide, or retrieved by divers. By that evening, 10,000 people crammed close to the pier, a surreal and morbid scene soon nicknamed Misery Lane, with opportunistic undertakers and coffin makers swooping down upon the crowd to offer vulnerable grieving families overpriced services. There were even some instances of employees stealing valuables from the bodies inside, especially horrible when you consider it was these very valuables that were the only way to identify some of these people. By the final count... 1,021 people perished in the General Slocum disaster, the worst single tragedy in New York City up until that time. In lives lost worse than the Civil War draft riots, worse than the Great Fire of 1835, New Yorkers would witness this terrible scene at Charity's Pier just seven years later with the fire at the Triangle Shirtwaves factory. The wreckage of the Slocum turned into a bit of a morbid tourist attraction, with riverboats distastefully sailing by with onlookers Gawking at the scene for the most part, however, people were enraged by this tragedy and immediately turned their ire to two places of course the Knickerbocker steamship company and its captain but also the conduct of the New York inspectors responsible for evaluating the boat's safety equipment the New York Evening Journal declared quote, it is the old the usual story of such events in this country where money laughs at the laws made to protect life where the dull sordid unimaginative love of money deadens the conscience and despises costly safety, unquote. In the end, while there were several indictments, including those handed to a couple of New York inspectors, the only person who was actually charged with a crime was the captain who was shipped up to Sing Sing prison to serve a 10-year term. However, in 1912, he was pardoned by President William Howard Taft. In the weeks following the disaster, the streets of Kleine Deutschland were filled with mourners, public funerals in the homes of the deceased, followed by processions through the streets. Many of the dead were sent to the Lutheran Cemetery out in Middle Village, Queens. Now, a little early in the show, I mentioned the Liebenau family and their three daughters, Anna, Helen, and Adela. Anna and Helen did not survive the fire. Helen's body was never found. But Adela, who was just six months old, did survive. On the first anniversary of the tragedy, Adela here, now one and a half years old, was hoisted to a podium to unveil the General Slocum Survivor Memorial out at the Lutheran Cemetery in Middle Village, where the remains of dozens of unidentified victims were buried. Adela had become a bit of the face of the tragedy, for just a year later, she was called on to unveil a second memorial, a marble water fountain on the north side of Tompkins Square Park. It had the inscription, They were Earth's purest children, young and fair. In memory of those who lost their lives in the disaster to the steamer General Slocum, June 15th, 1904. Believe it or not, Adela would live to be the oldest surviving witness of the General Slocum disaster, dying 100 years later in 2004. The neighborhood of Kleine Deutschland could never recover from this disaster. Almost every German family here was affected. One public school alone lost 51 students that day. It was simply too disastrous to keep the community together. And with thriving German communities now uptown in Yorkville and in other areas, this original German settlement slowly dwindled away. Today, there are very few relics of the era of kind of Deutschland. You can still see them here or there, especially in the architecture that's been left behind in some of the older buildings here. Even the congregation of old St. Mark's Lutheran Church left. In the 1940s, they merged with the congregation up in Yorkville, and the old building was sold and became the 6th Street Community Synagogue, an Orthodox Jewish place of worship and community center. There is an out front of it, however, a plaque in front of the building, which marks the building's tragic role in the events of June 15th, 1904. But it is odd to me that a major tragedy in American history like this is sort of forgotten, really. I went by Tompkins Square Park the other day recently to check out that memorial fountain, only to find that it kind of sadly abused. Some kids had written on it in chalk its reason for being hardly apparent. You know, there's a lot of debates right now about, you know, how to memorialize grief. Most of that, of course, centered on recent tragedies, and most of it centered on the brand new September 11th museum down at the World Trade Center. You know, that is a fresh and painfully recent event. This, the General Sochem disaster, is a very old tragedy. That's something that fades from view quite easily. North Brother Island is not accessible to New Yorkers. The old Misery Lane is on Bellevue Hospital property, and Kleine Deutschland is gone. I've read all sorts of theories about why such a large loss of life is hardly memorialized in New York. Much of it, at least back in the day, has to do with some anti-German sentiment that cropped up just a decade later with the start of World War I. It could have also been social class of the victims that has sort of caused it to recede from memory. Adela herself believed that might be the case. She said, quote, The Titanic had a great many famous people on it. This was just a family picnic, unquote. Well, sure, if I was going to be more hardline, I don't know, we could build one less condo and erect something in the honor of those who perished in 1904. But if that never happens, perhaps we consider James Joyce's Ulysses a fitting literary memorial. Believe it or not, the General Slocum disaster appears as a framing device in the book. A character says, quote, terrible affair, that General Slocum explosion, terrible, terrible, thousand casualties and heart-rending scenes. Men trampling down women and children, most brutal thing. What did they say was the cause? Spontaneous combustion, most scandalous revelation. And so that is my tale of the General Slocum disaster from 1904. On the blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, I'll have some photos of this event. Of course, some of them are rather graphic and photos of its aftermath, including some images that appeared in newspapers the following day. Now, at this moment, I want to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Audible, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. For listeners of the Bowery Boys, I get to offer you a special deal. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And here's the thing. There are a lot of amazing history books, a lot of them New York history-centered so in coming weeks, I will give you some recommendations of some books that I personally love, including, so this can be your free book if you want, David McCullough's The Great Bridge, the epic story of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, an absolutely beautiful story on one of New York's most beautiful landmarks. So that's one book you can get, but please check them out. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Boys. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Boys for your free audiobook. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook as well for some more information this summer on all the exciting goings on that we have in store for you. We'll be back in two weeks for another full-length show. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.